But the music you've just heard is the beginning of the second part of the St. Matthew Passion. Once again, we are listening to the April 2nd, 2022 performance by the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra. This is episode four, The Denial. In this episode, we're going to see the first trial of Jesus before the high priest, and also Peter's denial, which we've seen in an earlier episode, was foretold by Jesus. That will be the core of what we discuss in this episode. But as we begin this second part, we have this incredible aria that sets the tone for us and really reflects on the ground that we've covered so far and introduces this new section. David, uh, what can you tell us about this aria at the beginning of part two? Well, we're searching for Jesus, who's been taken away. And it, here the, the alto solo is sung by Clara Osowski in dialogue with the chorus. And she's having a very personal crisis of looking for her beloved. The chorus is responding actually rather comfortingly but as the character of the Daughters of Zion, which has a reference to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Is that correct? That's right. I and mean, for those who aren't familiar, in the Old Testament, there is a Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, and it's a kind of romance between a husband and a bride. But one of the central characters is the chorus or the Daughters of Zion or Jerusalem who are constantly interacting with these characters. In fact, the text that is being sung here actually comes from the Song of Solomon. This is right at the beginning of chapter 6, where we read, Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? The alto, she's distressed. I mean, at one point she sings, Ah, my lamb is in tiger's claws. Where has my Jesus gone? You can hear the anxiety in the instrumental music. It's, it's gorgeous music, of course, but there's definitely a, a searching, seeking element to it. Another thing that I find really fascinating is that the ends of the phrases are open-ended. Harmonically, the cadences don't end definitively, but rather they dissipate. You'll hear it right now when we listen to the opening. When the alto enters, she enters in the midst of this dissipated phrase.
Jesus is taken before Caiaphas, the high priest, and here is put on trial for the first time. A series of witnesses are brought before him, and they bear false witness, false testimony against him. But Jesus's response to this injustice is fascinating. As the evangelist sings, Jesus kept silent. He does not answer. This is immediately followed by a recit by the tenor who reflects on this reality and processes it in an interesting way, where he sees the silence of Jesus and holds that up to us as an example. He sings, we should be like him and hold our peace in time of persecution. Uh, David, that's a, a moving sentiment, and also I think one that's important for us to hear because this is not really the the way that we often respond when we feel persecuted. Well, that's true. It's also interesting to me that the tenor solo here sung by Stephen Soff begins rather indignantly. It's not resigned to the silence. Jesus is not capitulating to his accusers. And the tenor, as a bystander, takes note of what is taking place here. This is not just. The accompaniment is absolutely fascinating. Two oboes and the continuo, the organ and and the cello and bass, but also the viola da gamba, which we'll talk about in a moment. There are exactly 39 beats in this recitative, which was intentional on Bach's part. It's a reference to Psalm 39, which states, I will keep a muzzle on my mouth so long as wicked men confront me. Bach is referencing scripture passages in the warp and woof of the music that he's writing. It's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, we could spend days and weeks and months and years on the ingenuity of this one human being on so many levels, musically, obviously, in terms of setting text, obviously, but theologically, like you say, it's just astonishing. It's incredible. Well, let's listen to this meditation on the silence of Jesus. For uns zum Reiten sei geneigt, und dass wir in der gleichen Pein ihm sollen ähnlich sein und in Verfolgung stille schweigen. The aria, which is paired with that recitative we just heard, is really a duet for tenor and viola da gamba. The text of it is geduld, which means patience, when false tongues prick me. And what you'll hear are two contrasting musical ideas, one being legato and gentle, which represents the patience, and then a very jagged, anxious, melodic figure which is the tongue's pricking. 
But it happens in both the viola da gamba, which begins with a legato phrase followed by a jagged phrase. And then the tenor echoes exactly the same, a very beautiful legato phrase followed by this text, the stecken, sungen stecken, uh, pricking tongues. It's quite striking. What is the significance for Bach of this instrument, the viola da gamba? The viola da gamba is an instrument that he reserves for very special moments. It was the aristocratic instrument of Bach's time, particularly in French courts. There are seven strings, it has a wide range of expression, and is used as a solo instrument uh, rather than an accompanying instrument in most cases. That back and forth contrast that we hear between the smoothness, the legato of the silence of Christ, his patience, and the jaggedness of the attacks upon him is mirrored by another kind of tension that we see in the text where there's a contrast between the patient endurance on the one hand, and also at the very end, the the, the tenor sings, give my guiltless heart its vengeance. There's a desire for vengeance, or to, to use a more precise word, justice. Oftentimes, we tend to think that a passive endurance of suffering is almost a surrender of the idea of justice, that we're giving up on the idea that there's going to be some sort of final cosmic reckoning. But actually here in this text, you can see there's a balance or continuity between these things, that there's a connection between patient endurance now and a legitimate longing for justice that God will ultimately execute. This also points to perhaps a reason for the significance of this piece of music in the German-speaking world today. It's roughly analogous to how Handel's Messiah is tended and sung and practiced in the English-speaking world at Christmas time. St. Matthew, during Lent, during Holy Week, is even for people who are not church-going, this piece of music is very, very meaningful culturally to them, not just because of its musical brilliance, but also because of the last century and all of the things that Germany as a country has come through, that we can actually look at Christ's example, the injustice behind Christ's uh, trial and his, uh, his accusers, his condemnation, his crucifixion. It's the longing for justice that we feel in the face of those things that this aria, I think, really captures. So let's listen to that now. Forge, Zungen, Stärken. 
geduld, wenn mich falsche Zungen stecken, falsche Zungen stecken. After the conclusion of Jesus's trial before the high priest, we have a moment that is pivotal in the Gospel of Matthew, and it is Peter's denial of Christ. Peter is outside the courtroom as the trial is going on, and a servant girl identifies him as one of the followers of Jesus, and a kind of drama ensues in which people recognize him and Peter denies that he is the person that they think he is. This culminates in his third very forceful repudiation of Jesus, where he insists, I do not know the man. That's the moment that we're about to experience. David, musically speaking, things get complicated at this point, don't they? Indeed, it's it's another operatic convention that's brought into the church by Bach at this point. Many different roles, actually. This sequence of a recitative is framed by the evangelist, here sung by Timothy Bench, just straight gospel text of exactly what's going on. Then we have two servant girls, Kelsey Quistra and Rebecca Salman Huberg, that appear in dialogue accusing Peter, sung by Jacob Nordemir. They'll go back and forth, and Peter will, like you say, three times will deny that he knows Christ at all. Right before the third denial, the chorus also interjects in their role as the bystanders in the courtyard and saying, your speech, your language betrays you that you are indeed one of his followers. This sequence ends with an anguished melodic phrase from the evangelist saying that Peter went out and wept bitterly. <laughs> Und es trat zu ihm eine Magd und sprach, Und du wurdest auch mit dem Jesus aus Galilea, Er leugnet aber vor ihnen allen, und sprach, Ich weiß nicht, was du sagest. Als er aber zur Tür hinausging, sah ihn eine andere. Und sprach zu denen Dienermannen, Der sei wahrhaft mit dem Jesu von Nazareth. Und er leugnet abermal und fuhr dazu, Ich kenne des Menschen nicht. Und über eine kleine Weile traten hinzu, die das stunden und sprachen zu Petrus. Da hub er an, sich zu verfluchen und zu schwören. Ich kenne des Menschen nicht. Und als bald kräht er dir Hand. Da, da, 
For listeners who are not familiar with Matthew's Gospel, it's important to note that Peter's denial plays a special part in the structure of that narrative. As listeners, we enter into and identify with Peter in his denial because earlier in the Gospel, we've done exactly the same thing with Peter's confession of faith. In fact, the fulcrum, the pivot point in this Gospel narrative comes in Matthew 16, when after a period of revelation, Simon Peter just comes out and says that Jesus is the Son of God. This confession of faith is recognized as a turning point in the narrative. Up until that moment, you might say that the purpose of Matthew is to reveal that Jesus is the promised Messiah. After that point, his purpose is to depict Jesus performing the work that the Messiah has come to do, as he's already previewed in Matthew 1, Jesus has come to save his people from their sin. So that's a a great high point in the gospel. You might think that what comes now in Matthew 26 is a great low point, where we see Peter, who once confessed his faith, actually deny that he even knows Christ. I think there's something interesting, though, in that movement that says something about the theology of salvation in the gospel of Matthew. Rather than seeing a man of faith like Peter grow and grow in strength until he's able, as it were, to save himself, the trajectory that we see on the part of Jesus' disciples is a coming to faith and then actually a crisis, a a weakness, so that it emphasizes the need for Jesus to do the work of salvation because none of his followers are going to be able to do this. So what then is Peter's response other than to weep bitterly. You know, it's hard to say what the high point of St. Matthew Passion is. For those of us who know and love this piece, there are so many. But this aria is, is one of three arias, which you might, as a listener to this piece, just be waiting for this moment. Barmadich is the name of the aria. It's an alto aria. It's actually a duet between the alto soloist here sung by Clara Osowski and the violinist here played by SDSO concertmaster Dusuk Kim. The text just says, have mercy on me, my God, for the sake of my tears. Look here, my heart, my eyes weep before thee bitterly. It's the most sublime musical representation of contrition, true contrition. But there's a confidence as well that one will not just be heard, but also seen. The, the way he sets the words, shower here, look here, look at me, knowing 
that God is going to look and forgive. It's beautifully set. It's interesting to me that this is an alto that's singing this because the character of Peter in St. Matthew is sung by a bass. We just heard his voice in the previous recitative, but the aria is set for alto. The first aria in the entire St. Matthew Passion was also for an alto, and at that point, she's playing the character of the woman who had broken the alabaster jar at Jesus' feet. And if you read that gospel account, when Jesus is at dinner, and the woman is washing Jesus' feet with her hair, and the religious leaders are looking down on him and accusing her, saying, don't you know what kind of woman this is? And what does Jesus say? Do you see this woman? Just asking, can you see her? Are you looking? To me, that's a parallel with shower here. Look here at this moment. In this moment, look at me. Forgive me.
David, I can hear in your voice as you speak about this aria, how moving it is to you. And I know that's not a unique experience that many of the performers who brought the St. Matthew Passion to us have similar experiences. And there's a really interesting one that we have to share. Talking to Stephen Bryant, who sings the role of Jesus in our St. Matthew here, about the piece, the moment that stands out for him is this aria. And he shared with us his first experience. So I'm a seven-year-old sitting in a concert hall where my parents have dragged me to. And it's a complete performance of St. Matthew. And I believe it was with, it may have been with Boston Symphony, but I'm not positive about that. Anyway, it's a very long performance for a seven-year-old. And in my experience, I'm weaving in and out of consciousness during this performance. And it's towards the end of the piece, and Erbamadish comes, it's time for Erbamadish. And again, we're dealing with alto. We're dealing with out, out, the alto singing this aria. I was almost asleep when I heard this piece. I woke up and a part of my spirit, of my being, responded to a depth that I, as a seven-year-old, I had never, had never experienced before. And I mean, the violin solo, um, the text, which I knew nothing, I, I knew I did not know a word. It, it, and I can't even remember if they'd done it in English or, or, or German, because at that point, most of the German works were done in English. It could have been in English, but uh, I never paid it any attention to the words. It was the music that woke me up out of my childhood stupor into this into this realm of soulful music that even that even that pierced the heart of a 7-year-old and it's a memory that i have never forgotten and every time i hear the piece it's 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 it's, it's not as deep as an experience but it's a similar experience that and as you gentlemen were talking about Bach's um, belief and, and Bach's relationship to the gospel, uh, to, uh, to Jesus Christ, um, it, I don't know what kind of experience Bach may have gone through when he composed that piece or when that, when that music came to him. But to me, it was, it was a, 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 a divine realm that I was privy to be, to experience. And, uh, you know, what, what, was, what, what was so valuable to me was that, you know, I had one state of mind for three-fourths of the piece, and during that piece, I was completely in a different state of mind, in a different state of being. And, I mean, that said something to me about the soul of Bach that is as deep as a human being can go into this earthly experience. 
So just trying to imagine sitting in church on Good Friday in Leipzig 300 years ago and hearing that aria, what's my response? Bach provides it for us in the chorale that we would then sing together, probably a familiar text, one that gives me the opportunity to give my personal response. I think what's significant here in the words of this chorale, which are going to end this episode for us, is that it comes back to and really answers definitively the question we've seen already, which is why? What, what is the purpose of the cross? Why did all of this have to happen? Uh, this is a translation of the text that the chorale sings. Although I have strayed from thee, yet I have returned again. For thy Son has reconciled us through his agony and mortal pain. I do not deny my guilt, but thy grace and favor is far greater than the sin which I ever confess in myself. And you have in those words the perfect summation of what the cross accomplishes. The death of Christ reconciles us to God. Through his suffering, we can come to God and be reunited to him despite our sin. Let's hear those beautiful words as we close this episode. 